I'm going to read a little bit about, it's actually the introduction to one of the books of the Bible, Corinthians in my Bible. And we're going to be looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I'll be kind of backing up and giving you a little overview. But I hope that uh, if you've missed any of the messages in the last few weeks, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. And we're going to be looking at Corinthians today, 1 Corinthians, and we're going to be jumping around in chapters 12 through 14 as we talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And really, my major emphasis today is going to be the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit that we talked about last, was that last week or two weeks ago, I guess, two weeks ago. So the, the importance of the fruit and the gifts working together. And sometimes you need to have the context when Paul's writing, he's writing to the church in Corinth. And Corinth was a huge city, a major city, probably a third or fourth uh, biggest city in the Roman Empire at the time. It was a city that was located in a very key location for trade routes. It was a city that was an economic powerhouse. It was a city that had diversity of people because people would come through there all the time from different places and, dip and travel and some would stay. It had many different religions represented there. And there was a large Jewish population there. And the Apostle Paul, on one of his missionary journeys, I believe it was the second one, I think it was he spent about 18 months there, a year and a half, establishing the church in Corinth. And he's gotten a couple of reports about Corinth, the church, the Corinthian church, that weren't the most glowing reports. So this book is kind of his letter, one of his letters to the church in Corinth. But I want to read about Corinth a little bit with what I've told you about its thriving economy and all of those things. It says this, Corinth was full of sin. Even though it was a strategic center of influence, large Jewish presence, it was full of sin. It was one of the most wicked cities of ancient times. Degradation, immorality, and heathen customs abounded. Many religions represented even a temple that offered a thousand sacred prostitutes. Pleasure was worshipped more than principles. They reported when Paul got a letter, here's what they reported in their letter. And this is about the church in Corinth. It says this, There were divisions and much sin in the congregation. There was gross immorality, even an incestuous relationship. Lawsuits between Christians in front of unbelievers. Many practical problems in living out the Christian life. Marriage problems, difficulties concerning meat offered to idols and other matters of conscience, abuses in taking the Lord's Supper, disorderly conduct in the formal assemblies for worship, confusion about the role of women in the church, and heresies about the afterlife. Many of the members were recently converted from pagan practices, and they were having difficulty in adjusting and breaking with the past life. This letter is to a church that's got a few issues. Just a few. Because there were people in it. And it's interesting as you read about the church how many things are similar to what they were almost 2,000 years ago. People don't change unless God changes them. Now this was a church that had the Apostle Paul as their pastor basically for 18 months. And he was in constant contact with them. And all of these issues still erupted. And one of the reasons there were so many of these issues is a lot of relatively new Christians, obviously. Christianity wasn't old itself. And a lot of them were coming from false religions and pagan religions. A lot of idolatry. All of these things were going on. 
And when it comes to the church services, Paul is addressing them specifically as he, he's in, well, he all the way through. But in chapter 12, 13, 14, he's talking more about the service order and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he's really giving them an instruction of how to handle the gifts. You know, he talks about everybody has a gift. Everybody's gifts are different. You know, the toe is important as the ear, and the, the eyes are as important as the, the knees. I mean, everybody, every part, he's using this body analogy to say that everybody's got a role, every, everybody's important, and he's teaching about that, and he teaches about some of the gifts. And he's getting to this place where he's saying, you know, church, your church services are getting messy. You're doing things wrong, out of order. He gives them a lecture on uh, the way that they're, they're coming and where their hearts are at when they're receiving communion. And he goes, he's go, so he's going through a lot of these things. And then when he comes to chapter 12, he says something about, I don't want you to be ignorant of these things. There are so many things that we all do out of ignorance. You know, you ever talk to somebody? I mean, I remember the first time, and I think it was in Brian's office, when up in the Relco building way back when, when the first time I came in and he was going to look up something on the computer. And my ignorance was overwhelming. And now most of you are going to think, geez, this is ridiculous. Everybody knows this, including our three-year-olds. All of a sudden, he started clicking on what I didn't know were called icons at the time. Clicking on icons. And he's just going from this screen to this screen to this screen to this screen to this screen. And all of a sudden, he had what we were talking about. And I was like, what in the world just happened? I was totally ignorant. I had not seen, I mean, you know, turning on the switch on the back was a first step for me. Figuring out how to open something was all new to me. Now, if you'd sit and talk to me about that, I'd have just stood there and, yeah, 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 yeah. total ignorance. Paul is saying, I got something I do not want you to be ignorant about. And if you looked at the way it's phrased in the original language, it's a very forceful comment. Basically, what he's kind of saying in verse 3 of chapter 12, he says, you know what, I'm going to give you a few rules on how to function in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say it quite that way, but that's the strength in the word in the original language. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, that, Now about these spiritual gifts, my brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. I love that. Somehow or other you were led away. Somehow, I don't know. You listened to, you know who, you know what led them away? The religious leaders led them away. The pagan culture led them away that they lived in. And the fact that they didn't hang on to the truths that he had laid in them for 18 months when he was pastoring there. You've been led away, but I do not want you to be ignorant. And then he says, I want to make known to you. And that's the phrase that means, I'm going to give you some rules here. And in chapters 12, 13, and 14, he's talking about basically this. How do you handle and work with the gifts of the Holy Spirit? And today I'm not going to go through all the gifts by any means. We'll talk about that a little later. But what I want to go through today is really reinforce the importance of the fruit of the Holy Spirit and the proper handling of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people tend to almost contrast them. Well, there's the fruit and there's the gifts. The fruit and the gifts are compatible. As a matter of fact, they need to be compatible. And this is what Paul is going to teach about the gifts. And it's one of those things that I always wrestle with because it's so easy 
to get excited about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Man, who doesn't want something supernatural happening through you? I mean, I do. You know, I, I, I could hardly lift my left arm this morning. I couldn't hardly lift a plate. My shoulder hurts so bad. So if you happen to see people praying for me, they're praying for healing. Now, if I get it up there, I can still feel something. But it's just its amazing. Which one of you guys had the magic? Where did it come from? Jesus, good answer. Good answer. It, it's, there's this gift. And who doesn't want that gift functioning through them? So we get all excited about those gifts, especially what we call power gifts. Man, I want to prophesy. I want to lay hands on the sick and see them healed. Matter of fact, I want to raise the dead. I want to, I want to, I want to. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with schools of the prophets or learning how to use your gifts. I'm not saying that at all. But we get so enamored with the gifts. i got to tell you, I'm way more enamored with the fruit, personally, of the Holy Spirit. I, I believe with all my heart, when the fruit of the Holy Spirit is manifesting in our lives, it is a manifestation of the Spirit, by the way. That's what it is. I believe that that will draw way more people to Christ than a gift functioning. When the fruit of the Holy Spirit is manifesting in my life continually, when love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, I'm forgetting something, gentleness, oh yeah, self-control. When that is the way you are living your life every day, every hour, the manifestation, you can't do it in the flesh, but if the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, that will draw people to you and to Christ. And we get so enamored with the gifts. And I'm not trying to put the gifts down in the least. What I'm trying to do is elevate in our minds the, the importance of the fruit with the gifts operating as God intends. So in the past weeks, and this is why I want to encourage you, if you've missed some of the messages, uh, not that they're all that great, but at least to give you some information. One was we talked about who is the Holy Spirit. And a lot of our churches, if we came from a denominational church, the only, only recollection I had of the Holy Spirit is we mentioned Him in a creed or two. And I'm not saying that to badmouth anybody, but it seems like the Holy Spirit has been removed from so much religion for so many years. And including ours sometimes. We've got to remember the Holy Spirit is co-equal with God the Father and God the Son, Jesus. They are co-equals. It's not a number one, a number two, a number three. It's different responsibility, different responsibility, different responsibility. We are living in the age of the new covenant. We're not under the law, but we're also living in the age of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the presence of divinity, of the divine, of God on earth today. Jesus came, He was here for about 33 years, and He ascended to the Father. And He sent the Holy Spirit, God, the Spirit, in the earth today. We need to know about Him. We need to understand Him, who He is. Then we talked about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells someone the moment they believe and accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Not when you're baptized, not when you're confirmed, not when you're a nice person. The moment you accept Jesus Christ as the sacrifice for your sin, the Holy Spirit indwells you. And at that moment, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is available to all. Matter of fact, it's there. 
at the moment of salvation. Then there's what we call, in the Bible calls, more importantly, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's the indwelling at the moment of salvation. There's the baptism of the Holy Spirit that may take place any time after that moment. Some of you may receive it almost simultaneously. A lot of people are ignorant of the reality that there is a second event with the Holy Spirit called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So we spent some time talking about that, looking at it from a historical perspective, how we see it in the New Testament in the book of Acts alone, it happening at different times, with different places, with different people. They were presented with it and exposed to it different ways, laying out of hands, praying, just teaching pre- pre- the, the Word of God, teaching truth. And it took place over a 40-year time frame. So to t- say that it was a one-time event on the day of Pentecost only is error. It's biblical error. But it took place and it's available yet today. What does the baptism of the Holy Spirit do? Sometimes even in our charismatic circles, maybe especially our charismatic circles, we think you have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to receive a gift. It's not true. It's not true at all. So what does the baptism of the Holy Spirit do? I believe it's like an activates. It sensitizes. It gives us an elevated realization or an elevated ability to respond and hear the Holy Spirit. It gives us a sensitivity and a receptivity to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our life when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. It takes a gift that may have been used a little bit almost in your natural, even though it's a gift of the Spirit, but it activates it. It gives you an ability to, to receive grace, to overcome sin. So we've talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Two weeks ago, we talked about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And remember, it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, singular fruit. All nine of those characteristics of it should be present in all of our lives. I like to make excuses about that patience and self-control thing. But that's just part of the package. It's all there, all nine of those characteristics, all nine of those attributes, and they are the attributes of Christ. And the Holy Spirit... One of his jobs is to transform us into the image of Christ. So the fruit of the Spirit that are within us are there, and the Holy Spirit is doing all that it can to work with our old mind, our old habits, our old ways of thinking to transform us so this fruit is the way we live. If you want to be like Jesus, if you want to live a life like Jesus, and you want to live in a way that glorifies him, the fruit of our lives should be the fruit of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, the Bible says you can't judge a person's heart. I get reminded of that a lot. Mike, you're judging. Now, I can't judge their heart, but we're very clearly told to judge something. What? The fruit. You will know them by their fruit. If the fruit of the Holy Spirit's not there in your life, hardly at all or at all, you might want to see how well you know Jesus if you've really surrendered your life to Him and accepted the gift of salvation. And this week we're going to touch on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit are a special enablement given by the Spirit to accomplish a further task. They're given by the Holy Spirit as He desires, as He wants. The fruit of the Holy Spirit are for all of us. The gifts are for all of us, but not all of them. The only one who had the fullness of all the gifts was probably Jesus. No one since. And the gifts and the fruit, we're going to be looking at some differences and then some similarities, but one of the things that's very similar is they come from God. They come from the Holy Spirit. 
In Psalms 127, it's a scripture that I pray a lot. Unless the Lord builds the church, they who they labor in vain who try to build the church. How does the Lord build the church? Well, one of the ways, and one of the key ways, is by his fruit and by his gifts. Lest the Lord builds the church, unless the Lord's fruit is present, lest the gifts of the Holy Spirit are present and operating in a proper order, unless those things are happening, the Lord is building the church, those who labor are laboring in vain as they're trying to build it. <clears throat> we don't want to build anything in our own strength. We want to build it as the Holy Spirit's leading, guiding, directing, and operating in our lives. On the day of Pentecost, an amazing thing took place. Hundreds of years ago's prophecies were fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. When you look at Pentecost, as I said earlier, it was the beginning of basically the New Covenant and the age of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, when you read about that, it was the climax of a major promise from God that I will send the Holy Spirit. A couple of different verses I want to look at in the Old Testament. The first one's in Ezekiel. And we've looked at these in the past few weeks, but I want to show you a little bit of a difference between them. Two prophets, one in Ezekiel, then we'll look at Joel. But look at in Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 7. It says, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you the heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I'm going to put the Holy Spirit in you, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And when I do that, it's going to change your heart. And it's going to allow you to live in such a way that it glorifies me. It says you're going to be able to follow the law. Not you have to follow the law, but you're going to be able to because he's going to change your heart. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to change the way you're living your life. Your lifestyle is going to look different when I put this new heart in you, when I put the Holy Spirit in you, when I, it dwells in you. Basically, I believe there's a very strong correlation in that prophecy to the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's a changed life. It looks different. We live differently. Our character changes. In a sense, almost our personality begins to change because the fruit is there. And then there's in Joel. In Joel, we read this often, and we usually are reading this, and I think we connect it quite quickly to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In Joel, it says in chapter 2, verse 28, And afterward, I will pour out my Spirit on all people, not in, on, baptize you, immerse you in the Holy Spirit. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. An outpouring of His Spirit whereby people begin to prophesy, have dreams, have visions. They are not fruit. They are gifts of the Holy Spirit. I believe we see two prophecies that have direct application to what we see in the New Testament. 
Ezekiel prophesying about that new heart and Holy Spirit in you in correlation to the New Testament, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And in Joel, it's going to come upon you. You are going to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. And it's going to quicken prophecy, visions, and dreams, gifts of the Holy Spirit. Both of them, hundreds of years before, prophesied. There's another verse that's a little bit more obscure in Numbers chapter 11, verse 29. And this is Moses. And Moses has went up the mountain. And it's so interesting. Because, and I just noticed this this week, I think for the first time. It's talking about the, the power of God, the Spirit of God coming on Moses. And then it says, the power of God, he took it from Moses and he put him on the people. I'd never noticed they're caught the him, the Holy Spirit being referred to by God as him. He's a person. He's a person. He's a real thing. He's not some spiritual weird thing floating around out there. And then when he did that, it says the people begin to prophesy. And if you read the story then back in the camp, a couple of people didn't come out of the camp, but they went back to the camp and the couple guys were prophesying. And even Joshua got upset and said, Lord, I got Moses. Stop them from prophesying. And Moses' words were this, Oh, that all of the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put His Spirit on them. I believe this is a, the, a fulfillment that took place and takes place every time there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit. So, similarities, and I've already mentioned some, between the Holy Spirit or between the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And I know I'm repeating myself, especially from a couple weeks ago when I talked about the fruit, but I just want us to understand how important the fruit is. God, in the Word of God, gives more time and more words to fruit than He does the gifts. We tend to flip that because we're human beings. And we get enamored and excited about the gifts. I'd rather get more excited about laying hands on people and seeing them healed than self-control. Imagine that. Or patience. How many of us have said, oh, I wish I had patience? You want to dip into our reservoir with all the patience you'll ever need? The Holy Spirit, it's in there already. It's already there. We just got to get the flesh, the old mind, the old habits, all that junk out of the way. Similarities, number one, the source is the Holy Spirit. Kind of a no-brainer, right? The fruit of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They do not originate with you or me. We have nothing to be proud of with the fruit and the gifts. They're not ours. They're given to us by God, and He allows us to manifest them through us. They're from Him. Second thing, they both have the same purpose to edify the body of Christ. The fruit that are supposed to manifest in us, that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, that's all just as important to God in edifying the body of Christ. Not just the gifts. They both do. They both are designed that way. Third similarity is this. Both. The fruit and the gifts are given to us in an unfinished form, in a sense. Practically, 
or positionally or whatever word you want to use, they're perfect because they're the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But when they're given to me and the fruit is given to me or to you, they need a little polishing. As a matter of fact, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is a lifetime of growth. They're there, but they're not finished. The Holy Spirit will, as we surrender and submit to the Holy Spirit, they will grow, they will become more perfect all the time as we're becoming more like Christ. You and I cannot be transformed in the image of Christ if we lack self-control, patience, or any of those other things. We can maybe get by once in a while with a few of those characteristics, but we need them all to demonstrate and model Christ to the world. They need to be developed to edify. And Paul's going to lecture the Corinthian church, especially about the gifts, that what you're doing is not edifying the body of Christ. And it's interesting, and we'll look at that in a minute, but when you look at what he says, even as he's lecturing him, he never once says the gifts are phony or fake or bad. He says the people delivering them may have been any or all of those things. You need to polish it, experience it. Room for error, of course, but they will be developed. They're given in an unfinished form. And that's the thought, I believe, behind, you know, that we are being continually transformed into the image of Christ. Now some distinctions between, differences between the fruit and the gifts. The fruit, as I mentioned earlier, they are the result of what? The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. As soon as you get saved, they're there. They're the result of the indwelling. The gifts are the result of an empowering as the Holy Spirit baptized. We are baptized in the Holy Spirit by Jesus. Jesus is the baptizer. The Holy Spirit is the element of baptism. The fruit are ethical. What does that mean? They are ethical. It simply means that basically they are showing us how Jesus should li- how Jesus lived and how we should live. They're ethical in nature. The fruit are ethical. The gifts, on the other hand, are what that word we use to describe a church like us, charismatic. They are gifts given to empower us. A difference between the fruit and the gifts. Another difference, all Christians, every single one of us, every single one of us, are called to, uh, to demonstrate all the characteristics of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Every single one of us. All the time. The fruit. For every one of us, all of them, all the time. The gifts, not so much. We all have a gift, but we're not required to all have all the gifts. And they are given as the Spirit desires. You know what? When you need that supernatural gift of faith because of something going on in your life, it'll be there. Sometimes God releases that that gift of healing in a supernatural way. And it's there for that time. Miracles. Gift of giving. We always talk about the, the power gifts, whatever we want to call them over here. But the gift of giving, the gift of serving. You know what? You ever been sitting there and there was an opportunity to do something for someone else or do something for the church and you're kind of like, I don't feel like it. All of a sudden something rises up in you. 
and you just go and serve. And as soon as you start, you feel good about it. The gift of serving, given and released when it's needed. All the gifts are like that. They're different in that way. In 1 Corinthians 14.1, it says, Desire earnestly the spiritual gifts. We're to desire them, but it's up to the Holy Spirit to give them as He sees fit. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11, distribution to each one, just as He wants. If you read 12, 13, and 14, those chapters in Corinthians, you will learn an awful lot about the Holy Spirit, about the fruit and the gifts. And you may read through there and wonder, what is Mike talking about with all this fruit stuff, even in those verses and those chapters? Hope to show you in a couple minutes. The last thing that's different, and I've mentioned this also, you are required to manifest the fruit. You are not required to manifest the gifts except at the bidding of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that is one of the important aspects of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We are more sensitive to the Holy Spirit and we are more receptive to step out in faith with those gifts, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You have to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit to have the gifts. You will not find the answer in the affirmative in the Scripture. And the other thing that's kind of interesting The Holy Spirit doesn't seem to care how mature you are as a Christian if he decides to release a gift. Sometimes that we've been a Christian for 30 years and you're some amateur one-year-old Christian and you're going to prophesy over the church. Yeah, they may very well do that. The Holy Spirit. When when Paul is lecturing the Corinthian church on how they're messing everything up in the services, he doesn't once tell them to quit operating in the gifts. And he doesn't once tell them that they've got to wait until they're more mature. He's telling them, it'd be a lot better if you would mature and let the fruit be present. So God, the Holy Spirit isn't going to discriminate. That's why we need to be open to receive. And as we'll see in a minute, the person who is releasing the gift needs to be open to some things too. Or the one who gives, the, gives whatever the Holy Spirit's trying to do needs to be open to some things also. The fruit and the gifts need to be working together. And I believe that they are both very central to the activity of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament and in a New Testament church. In 1 Corinthians 14.1, it says this. Now, have you ever thought, if you've read those chapters, chapter 12, talks a lot about the gifts, different types of gifts, kind of straighten them out a little bit. Chapter 14 talks about prophecy and tongues and and a little bit more about the gifts. And then stuck in between them is chapter 13. And 13 of 1 Corinthians is oftentimes called the love chapter. It's the ones you hear read at everybody's wedding. Love is patient. Love is kind. You ever wonder why it's stuck between chapter 12 and chapter 14? I believe it's part of, and we can read it at weddings, it works there too. But I believe it's part of Paul's instruction on how the gifts should operate regulated by the fruit of the Spirit, especially love. Love. In 14.1 it says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. So as we we look at how they, they work together, we need to understand 
what Paul is doing. And that's why I wanted to give you a little background on Corinthian church, the church in Corinth. They were getting things messed up. They were believers. He calls them brothers. They were operating the gifts, and he never denies those gifts weren't real, not once, but they were messing it up. And he says, I'm going to show you, and I'm going to tell you a more excellent way. The gifts are great, but let me tell you about a more excellent way. What's that more excellent way? And he says that at the end of chapter 12, and he jumps right into chapter 13, talking about love, a primary fruit of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 and 2 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am really something. I'm nothing. Notice what he says is nothing. He doesn't say it's the gifts. He doesn't say it's the prophecy. He doesn't say it's the faith. He doesn't say any of that. What he says is you and me are nothing. The gifts could be operating They could be real. They can be powerful. They're from the Holy Spirit. They can change people's lives. But if you're doing it in a wrong spirit, the fruit is not there. You're nothing. Interesting to me. Nothing. The more excellent way in verse... get in the right book of the Bible, it'd help. Verse uh, 31 of chapter 12. I just read it. But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And then he says, and I show you a still more excellent way. I believe as we look into the first part, or at least some of this explanation of what love is, there's a very clear connection to the gifts and the fruit of the Holy Spirit a more excellent way of releasing the gifts through the, through the fruit of the Spirit. I'm taking some of this from a pastor named Anthony Palma. I want to give credit there. As he looks at some of these verses in chapter 13, especially verses 4 and 5, scriptures that are very familiar to most all of us if we ever went to a wedding, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. And and Pastor Palma makes the point that he believes this is key to delivering the gifts in a right way. He goes on and says, for example, it is patient and kind. What? What does that mean? It means it willingly defers to other gifted members by giving them an opportunity to speak as the Spirit would move. Where does he get that from? 1 Corinthians 14, verses 30 and 31, it says, if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. There's a few things there. One, defer to someone else. Two, why? So that everyone can be edified. The gifts are designed to edify. The Corinthian church was doing this all wrong. They were not doing it in cooperation. They were doing it out of spirit of competitiveness. I'm more spiritual than you. Watch. Here goes the gift. 
You got one? That attitude is what Paul is trying to address with them. They were doing it to gratify self, not to build up the body of Christ. He goes on and says, it's patient and kind that it's, it's not jealous and boastful. What do you got to be jealous of? What do you got to be boastful of if they're all distributed by the Holy Spirit as the Spirit wants to distribute them? Paul's saying, you got nothing to be prideful about, nothing to be jealous about. It says this in 12.11. All of these things are the work of one and same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he desires. Love is is patient, it's kind, it's not jealous and boastful, and then it goes, it's not proud. 1 Corinthians 12.21 says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. We all need each other. Paul is telling the church, none of you are more important than the other person. Really, the one that's important is important for that moment when it's responding to the Holy Spirit's prompting to do what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And it's nothing about us. It's about the Holy Spirit. It's not proud. And it's not arrogant or rude. It always considers the welfare of the body over self. And it's always willing to receive correction. Willing to receive correction. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 29 and 30. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is being said. Test it. Test it. And if a revelation comes, let's see, uh, yes, if a revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, the first speaker, speaker should stop. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It submits to authority in the church. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 37. Paul's writing this again, and he says, If anybody thinks he's a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. What Paul's saying is, I'm your apostle. And if anybody comes saying they got a gift or they're a prophet, They need to submit to what's been said here as I am the head of this church. So they need to understand that this is the word of the Lord. So we need to, the gifts, be willing to submit to the authority that's over them. So when you look at those verses, patient, kind, not jealous, not boastful, not proud, not arrogant or rude, not insisting on its own way, it's really an instruction from Paul to the Corinthian church who was really messing it up, especially in the area of gifts, on how to do it correctly through the fruit of the Spirit, primarily the fruit of love. When they are used together, when they are complementary to one another, it will always edify the church. And it's God's way of doing it, to edify the church. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an important aspect of all of this because it does truly put us in a position to not only desire the gifts or the fruit, but to receive them. And it should not only give us a sensitivity and receptivity to the gifts, it should cause us to desire to live a life where the fruit is being manifested also. 
How often when we pray, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit, Spirit would manifest his presence here today. What are we all thinking? Gifts, gifts, gifts. I hope not. I hope here we're also thinking, Lord, let the love of Christ manifest here. Let all the fruit of the Holy Spirit manifest here. That's our goal. That's God's goal. Next week, Lord willing, or the week after, or whenever, we will talk about gifts more specifically. But today I just wanted to really remind us, encourage us, and hopefully get it deep in us that the fruit is every bit as important as the gifts. And in a certain way, the fruit is what actually activates the effectiveness of the gifts. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit. Father, I acknowledge in my own life, and I'm sure most of us here acknowledge that we are not always good at allowing the fruit of the Holy Spirit to manifest through us. I pray you would help us by your Spirit. Release the grace to allow us to allow Jesus to be demonstrated through us in a more clear way. And I thank you for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Father God, the gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit at just the right time for a certain purpose. God, and I pray that as, as we live with the fruit of the Holy Spirit manifesting and we operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, your church will be built and your kingdom will be advanced for your glory. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.